Welcome to episode number 13 of Hooked on Sports. I know it's a few days late, but I'm recording this at 11.20 a.m. on Sunday the 19th, so it's Championship Sunday across the NFL. And we're going to get into our previews of Championship Sunday in a little bit, but... If you are a fan of baseball, and we're going to get right down to this right now. If you are a fan of Major League Baseball this week, you've got to be sick to your stomach. You've got to feel like, what's going on with baseball? How is baseball going to recover from this? How is baseball going to get its fans back? And we're going to get right into the bottom of this right now. So, the Major League Baseball handed down harsh, severe punishments for the Houston Astros this past Monday for the sign-stealing controversy that led the Astros to their 2017 World Championship. The Astros suspended general manager Jeff Luno and and manager A.J. Hinch for the 2020 MLB season. Actually, that's baseball that did that. The Astros did something later on that, that was harsher than that. They placed former assistant general manager Brandon Taubman on its ineligible list, who was previously fired for an exchange that took place between him and female reporters regarding the value of Roberto Rosuna. The team will lose its first and second round picks in the 2020 and 2021 drafts, and if the Astros sign a player attached to a draft pick, their first or second round pick in 2022 for whatever situation applies will be lost as well. So, the franchise was also fined a maximum of $5 million for the scandal. Major League Baseball has already said they were going to go hard on the Astros, and surely enough, they did. Major League Baseball is currently investigating the allegations that the Boston Red Sox stole signs during their 2018 World Series winning season, and the league is expected to issue a harsher punishment to now ex-Red Sox skipper Alex Cora. And it's virtually impossible to bet against uh, what the Ast- uh, impossible to bet against this core getting higher uh, punishments than who was the Astros bench coach in 2017. He was one of the ringleaders in the Astros scandal as well. But let let's let's get to the barrel of this legacy of of the scandal. This is one of the biggest scandals in sports history. The amount of technology and the nerves it took for the scandal to come to life is absolutely stunning. The path that the Houston Astros took to establish their path of winning under under Jeff Luno and A.J. Hinch is sickening, weak, embarrassing to the sport, offensive to the senses, you name it. The reputation of all those involved, the front office, the ownership, senior leadership, will be permanently tainted, and the 2017 Astros Championship will forever be tarnished because of the cheating scandal. It doesn't matter whether or not the league didn't go further and vacate the Astros Championship, which would have been a guarantee on the college level. If this was a college championship, it would have been vacated immediately by the NCAA. Why, why won't it matter? Because the fans will never acknowledge that the Houston Astros won the 2017 World Series. The Astros will be booed. They will be received negatively wherever they are on the road this year because of the sham. But I also would have acknowledged 
what the fans believed. And now it's true. Dodgers fans, Yankees fans, they must be pissed about this evil scheme. Given that both the Astros and the Red Sox beat the Yankees in the playoffs, and then both teams beat the Dodgers in the World Series. If you're a Dodgers fan, you've got to be You've got to feel ill, mad, and pissed. If you're a Yankee fan, you've got to feel ill, mad, and pissed. This is the first type of scandal of its kind in baseball that involved front office and on-field coaches and executives all together. And Major League Baseball sent the message loud and clear that those who cheat will get caught under the Manfred administration and presumably after Manfred no longer is commissioner. The league has now set a litmus test for any such cheating scandals in baseball, and I expect that the league will institute wide-ranging regulations to ensure this never happens again. This will lose some fans, particularly in Houston. This is one of the dark ages in the history of the sport. This also will permanently question the integrity of those involved, particularly those in the higher power during the scandal. This will probably mark the end of the managerial careers of A.J. Hinge and Alex Cora, as well as the time Jeff Luno spends as a general manager of a franchise. Now the fallout from this, shortly after the league sent down the punishments to the Houston Astros, Astros owner Jim Crane announced the firings of A.J. Hinge and Jeff Luno and decided to move on to a different direction in that regard. That means that the Astros would consider either bringing in a manager and a general manager for the future instead of bringing someone in for the interim and, uh, and have them be the general manager and interim manager until Luno and Hinch would be uh, reinstated for the 2021 season. But I believe this was the right decision and the only decision for owner Jeff Crane, uh, Jim Crane, excuse me so they can move on from this mess. You think about the banging of the garbage cans, you think about the illegal Sunnerfield camera, you think about the sign stealing using the smartwatch, which you're not supposed to do anyways. Jeff Luna must have known about it. A.J. Hinge had known about it. So why risk your reputation and why risk the integrity of the sport to pursue this greed and winning? This was the only move Jim Crane had to make at this point. Bag it, A.J. Hinch. Bag it, Jeff Luno. The Red Sox didn't want any part of the investigation either, so they fired Alex Cora on Tuesday. <laughs> How do Yankees fans feel now? And, I mean, let me tell you, the, the, the Red Sox might get hit harder than this from the Astros, guys. The, the Astros won 102 games in 2017. The Red Sox won 108. We, uh, when, the, when the Red Sox won the World Series, we were thinking, oh, this is the greatest season ever in the Red Sox, in the history of the Boston Red Sox. Pure dominance, to uh, the total package, hitting, pitching. But we don't know what the, what the league is investigating in terms of, of what they're going to hand down to the Red Sox. I don't know. If you were to tell me that the Red Sox uh, would, would hinge themselves by cheating... I think they need to figure figure something else out because the Red Sox, as a, as storied a franchise as they are, the fact that Alex Cora uh, was hired 
to be the manager in the first place. And sure, Alex Cora was a tr uh, looked really good during the 2018 season. He pushed a lot of the right buttons. But now we can't be surprised about that. We can't be surprised about the cheating from the Red Sox. So, the Red Sox move on from Alex Cora. And then it took 72 hours after the initial bombshell report for the Mets and 2017 Astro Carlos Beltran mutually agreed to part ways um, with Beltran no, no longer being the manager and and the Mets going to hire someone else to be the manager. This is why you hire Joe Girardi as the manager, folks. This is why I said I said it was going to be a disaster back in uh, back in October. I uh, Joe Girardi. Oh, I think he was clearly the guy. He he wanted the Mets job. You can't get him right now. It's too late because he's now at the Philadelphia Phillies. You can't. Uh, the, the division rivals will never do that uh, to uh, to get the Mets uh, Joe Girardi back. And let's fiddle at this while we're at it. The Houston Nationals punishment severely impacted the Mets because the Mets figured to hire someone from the 2017 Astros. But it, but it was someone who was eventually caught in the scandal. But I want to be fair here. I'm one, I, I, I gave you that to give you this. I'm very curious why Major League Baseball listed Carlos Beltran on the seven-page memo issued on Monday and nobody else on the active roster at the same time. Why not Jose Altuve? By the way, with Jose Altuve, how about him t telling the fan, uh, telling his teammates as he was rounding third base in the, with hitting, after hitting that walk-off home run, to uh, to not not rip the shirt off? And you saw Aaron Judge on Instagram take down the pose, congratulating him on winning the 2017 uh, American League MVP. Also, why not Carlos Correa? Why not George Springer? Why did MLB implicate Carlos Beltran and not other players when the memo said a group of players? That I don't get. But the one thing I also don't get was that why why the Mets were so silent for for however long they were, and then Beltran and then they, they announced announced the mutual agreement to part ways. I don't. This this makes no sense. This was the craziest week in the history of Major League Baseball. Three managers get fired in January. This is not normal, folks. This is insanity. This is craziness. This is probably and this might this is this is obviously worse than the Pete Rose betting scandal. This rivals the. 1919 Black Sox scandal, and you have the Red Sox, the Astros, and the Mets all looking for managers because the Astros cheated, and that's the and that's the main storyline this morning. Also, actual baseball news as the Minnesota Twins and Josh Donaldson agreed to a four-year, ninety-two million dollar contract on Tuesday. Sending the three-time All-Star back to the American League after hitting 37 home runs and driving in 94 runs for the Atlanta Braves last season. If you're a fan of the Phillies or the Mets, this is really good news. 
one less high-quality bat to contend with in the National League East. If you're a fan of the Washington Nationals or the Atlanta Braves, you've got to be sick. Josh Donaldson was a splendid counterpart to Freddie Freeman in that lineup. He was a mentor to the younger players. And now he's out and he creates a massive pull at third base. What the Braves can do in the meantime is they can explore trading options such as Nolan Arenado and, uh, from the Colorado Rockies and Chris Bryant from the Cubs. But you've got the Cardinals, the Nationals, the Phillies all looking to upgrade a third base via the trade market. It's not going to be easy because of the because uh, the Rockies just signed Nolan Arenado to that contract extension last season. But the Braves have the best farm system of the four teams to get a trade done, either preseason or the July 31st trade deadline. For the Nats, after seeing Rendon leave for $35 million a year and seeing Donaldson offered $23 million a year, $23 million a year from Minnesota, and seeing Todd Frazier sign uh, the $5 million deal for one year with the Texas Rangers. How would the Nets, Nats get away with that after seeing Bryce Harper leave the year prior? That's your two best bats gone in consecutive off-seasons. And we second-guessed this, uh, this would be a problem for the Nets. I think time will evolve from this being a big hole with the Nets to deal with. Now I talked about the Donaldson signing impact for the National League East side. Now I want to talk about this from the Twins. The Minnesota Twins hit the most home runs for a team in a single season ever last season. And Josh Donaldson will help to make that record explode. But where exactly does this make sense for the Twins? Where exactly did the Twins get better? When you're starting two rookies in your rotation, and after getting fleeced in last year's trade deadline for not getting an ace, not trading with for Madison Bumgarner, and seeing Garrett Cole go to the Yankees in free agency, and seeing Madison Bumgarner, who they should have traded for at the deadline, and I and I second guessed this on Daily Take back in July, go to Arizona, and Minnesota's rotation it is not where it needs to be. The Twins could add Mike Trout to the lineup, and they still wouldn't beat the Yankees in the playoffs because of their starting pitching. The Twins' inability to develop starting pitching in the, in the minors has been telling about all of their playoff disappointments for the last 20 years. And the next one is coming up at the, the first week of October. Now, I, if you're a fan of LSU football, this season was just for you. And LSU, I said it last week on the program, that LSU was absolutely going to win the national championship. I had LSU winning. I took LSU to win and cover. We can go on and on about the accolades that LSU has received for their success this year. But this team, this year, probably had the single greatest season any college football team has ever had. First of all, they went 15-0 undefeated. That's number one. Secondly, they beat a previously unbeaten Clemson team in the national championship game on Monday night. And the quarterback was 25-0 in his career. Trevor Lawrence was 25-0 in his collegiate career entering that game on Monday. They played seven different top 10 teams this year. They won them all, averaging 42.7 points on offense in those seven games. Four of those wins were against top five opponents. All of them 
were the top four teams in the preseason AP poll. Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia. And they scored 47 points a game against those four teams. Including their last three games. The SEC Championship. The College Football Playoff Semifinal. And the College Football Playoff National Championship game on Monday night. The fourth one was, a tr- was the true road game at Alabama with Tua. Another stat. They beat Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama, Florida, Georgia. All of them were 60-4 and four in games not against LSU. LSU beat them all by an average of 20 points. They only trailed by double digits once. And that was when they were down 17-7 to Clemson in the second quarter on Monday night. In which they outscored Clemson 35-8 the rest of the way. They scored 726 points. The most ever in the AP era. They had a 1,400-yard rusher. They had two receivers each with 1,500 yards and 18 touchdowns. They're going to have five first-round picks this year. And you bet you, they're going to have three or four more next year. And how about Joe Burrow? Biggest landslide Heisman winner ever. He won the Johnny Unitas Gold Arm Award. He won the Walter Camp Award. He won the Maxwell Award. He threw 60 touchdowns. Think about this. Think about this for a second. 60 touchdowns in 15 games. That's one touchdown for every quarter he played this season. He also threw for over 5,600 yards passing, third most ever, and only six interceptions. And for good measure, on Monday night, 463 yards passing, five touchdowns to the national title game. This is probably single greatest individual season by a quarterback in college football history. And you have to give him the numbers, you have to, it's, you're given the schedule, you're given the circumstance after transferring from Ohio State. Those three factors made Joe Burrow's 2019 season the greatest by a quarterback in the history of college football. And Jamar Chase won the Blitnikoff Award. He was a huge factor in the Oklahoma game. He was also predictably a huge factor in the Clemson game, too. Grant Delphit won the Jim Thorpe Award. I can't I can't wait to see him dominate in the NFL. Ed Orgeron. What else could I say? Coach of the year. And we all and and everyone was laughing at LSU for hiring Ed Orgeron after all the failures of Les Miles. Tremendous, tremendous, tremendous job by LSU all around, and congratulations, you deserve this. In the end, now we can finally head to the NFL right now, as there were two big retirements over the course of the past week, one predictable, one not. Antonio Gates announced he was retiring after after his legendary story career with the San Diego slash Los Angeles Chargers. He was the definition of reliable. He's a first ballot Hall of Fame tight end. He is one of the greats. And it's a shame that he is one of the great players ever to never win a Super Bowl. So, congratulations to Antonio Gates. But how about Luke Keekley, former linebacker of the Carolina Panthers retiring? And, wow, I did not see that one coming, guys. Luke Keekley, who came up as one of the most promising linebackers in, the, in in draft history, he had all he had tremendous seasons. He was the defensive player of the year uh, for the, for the Panthers, but then the injuries kept tolling on him. Uh, the the concussion was uh, starting with the concussions and all of that. Ed or and 
Luke Luke Keekley is going to going to uh, going to leave a massive leadership hole in the Carolina Panthers going forward. But I think the Carolina Panthers will survive this because because uh, I think uh, the the drafting talent of Matt Rule is going to be amazing for the uh, for the franchise. But but good luck on retirement for Luke Keekley. Good luck on retirement for Antonio Gates. And there was and the last team hired a Ted coach on Sunday, this past week, as the Cleveland Browns decided to hire former man, former Vikings offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski to be the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Now, there were many different choices the Browns had because of the fact that they were the last ones available to hire a head coach. Having said that, Josh McDaniels was available, Brian Dable was available, the Bills offensive coordinator, Yet, they hired a one-season experienced offensive coordinator coming off his worst game as an offensive coordinator to be the head coach. And let me say this. The Cleveland Browns are a punchline. They're a joke. They have no idea what they're doing. Fold the franchise. Sell ice cream. Of course they were going to hire Kevin Stefanski. This is more proof the Browns have an organizational problem. Two reasons the Browns failed, I believe, last year. One, the owners being clueless. The one, the other, Freddie Kitchens being clueless because of the owners being clueless. Kevin Stefanski may make the Browns marginally better, but this would have been my third or fourth option to take over the team. This is once again a shotgun marriage between the Cleveland Browns and an offensive coordinator to be the head coach. They hired Freddie Kitchens on a small sample size. They hired Kevin Stefanski on the same type of sample in terms of of length and size, small, and uh, small and one year. Now the general manager, whoever the Browns hire, now that we have, now that they established Kevin Stefanski, they, they the Browns need to have the position report to Kevin Stefanski, like the Panthers are doing to Matt Rule, and kind of what the Cowboys are kind of doing with Mike McCarthy. But I tell you, I don't think the Kevin Stefanski-Browns man, uh, marriage will last very long. Maybe two or three years. Now, on to the past past week in the NFL Divisional Playoffs. Niners, heard about it. They absolutely positively took care of business against the Minnesota Vikings, as I said they would, and it it was it was easy to, it was easy to figure this one out. The 49ers were so uh, so fundamentally sound. They have the better defense, better coach, and and and, and the Vikings didn't couldn't get their own way in the second half. Like like all the all the turnovers, the inability to get the 49ers off the field on third down. You second, you you name this. And Kevin Stefanski uh, had no idea what he was doing as an offensive coordinator after the, their touchdown drive in the first quarter. Mike Zimmer uh, was thoroughly outcoached by Kyle Shanahan. And and the 49ers front seven literally gave, gave Kirk Cousins no favors whatsoever in that game. So the 49ers rightfully deserved their place in the NFC Championship game. The next game was was later that night. What the hell happened with the Baltimore Ravens? And now this is not me celebrating uh, celebrating the Titans, my Cinderella team, because I picked against the Titans going going into that game because I thought because I thought I could trust Lamar Jackson in the big spot. Apparently I couldn't. 
and yeah, and and you think you think about the, the the Ravens' inability to uh, to protect the football. They they lost the turnover battle. They and they did gain 530 yards of offense, but the problem with the Ravens, and this is a problem that, that playoff teams face, is converting uh, converting the work they do into points. That they had, that the Titans were tremendous in terms in terms of the defense when they when they needed to, the they they forced turnovers when they needed to, and then and then the ex and then the punchline was Derrick Henry being Derrick Henry. How about Derrick Henry? One hundred ninety five yards rushing, in the, in that game, two uh, and two touchdowns. And Ryan Tannehill was tremendous as well. That he, that he he threw for two touchdowns, including that forty-nine yard beauty to uh, to uh, to I believe it was AJ Brown, I believe, who caught that touchdown. But so, but it was an absolute beauty, and the Titans con- continued to 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 prove the Mike Vrabel way. And Mike Vrabel deserves a ton of credit. Ownership deserves credit. And the, the the quarterbacks were tremendous when they needed to make plays when it mattered the most. Tennessee's it was a complete complimentary football victory by the Tennessee Titans. Offense, defense, special teams, you name it. And that ended the Baltimore Ravens season. And I also want to say this about Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson is going to be the league MVP. There's no question about that. But to win in the playoffs and and this was a big knack on Lamar Jackson. He has to learn how to be a pocket passer, and you and 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 running is great, and and it and drives teams crazy, especially in the regular season. But you need to throw the ball when when you, when you need it to. You need to trust your wide receivers. You need to trust that offensive line, that pass protection, to uh, to be able to allow uh, allow uh, allow you to. To find uh, f- find ways to be successful in the pass game, and I can't think of a single pocket passing uh, on uh, a, a passing quarterback who uh, who might have had the pedigree of, of winning championships, and I can't think of a single running quarterback that's won a Super Bowl. I mean, the closest thing I could think of is Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson was uh was designed to be a pocket passer, and they. And the Seattle developed Russell Wilson to be a pocket passer and and, and allow and make his running be a, be a last resort and and for many for many of his playoff appearances Russell Wilson and how he got there that was the case in terms of him being uh, being a um, pocket passer but but you need to trust that you, you need to tr- trust more of your pieces around them you don't have to do everything by yourself because this is a team sport. But Lamar Jackson needs to learn how to be a pocket passer, and then he'll get through in the playoffs. Now, how about the Kansas City Chiefs? They were down 24 to nothing, and we all thought though this game was going to be over, right? Not another Patty Mahomes. Not he was not going to be denied. I picked the Chiefs to win the game, the Texans uh, and the Texans to cover. But I do want to say this about Bill O'Brien. So the Browns go up. Tw- uh, so the Texans go up twenty-one nothing, right? And Bill O'Brien decides to kick the field goal, and to go up twenty-four to nothing. The Chiefs then score a touchdown on a two-play drive, uh, right after, right after that, to go up twenty-four to seven. 
And then the Texans are forced to punt, right? On a fourth and, what, what was it, five? I think it was five, right? No. He decides to fake the punt inside their own territory. And, and a, fail, a failure to give, uh, give him the ball would allow the Chiefs to get the ball back in short range and continue to uh, to gain momentum and and, and that allowed the Chiefs to you, to, to, you know, get into a groove that the Texans couldn't stop. And I, and I had no idea of Bill O'Brien's clock management, especially in, in that second quarter. But imagine if the Texans had a plan. Imagine if the Texans had a general manager. Imagine if the Texans had a, had a real in-game manager. Yeah. I thought I, I thought the Chiefs uh, were going to win the game because of uh, because of the head coach. So you got the you have the 49ers winning. You got the Tennessee Titans winning. You got the Chiefs. So you got the Titans and the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. And then how about the Packers too? And and, and I picked the Packers because I thought because uh, I thought they were the home uh, the home team. I thought they had the better defense. I thought Seattle had issues on defense, especially in the first half. I think Seattle so was was overmatched by by the game planning of Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and Matt Lafleur, who was tremendous as a play caller on Sunday. But the Packers won um, to me won uh, won that game because. When they needed to make plays, especially on the offensive side of the football, and I know they they were they were up five with three with four minutes left, and Seattle had all three of its timeouts, but they they got they they forced Seattle to burn their timeouts, and then the, then they had the third down throw to uh, they had the third down throw to Jimmy Graham to ice it, and Devontae Adams made a big play as well. That that teams might not might not be great all game, and it sure wasn't was the case for the Packers. They were outscored twenty to seven in that second half. But good teams, and, and we're talking about and the good teams, the well coached teams, the good teams, the the well coached teams. Doesn't matter what happens when they need to make plays, when they need to do their jobs, they do their jobs, and that's what Devonte Adams did. That's what, um. Uh, Jimmy Graham did on the icing third down, and the and the tight and the Packers are on their way to the NFC Championship game, and we've got two delicious a- NFC cha- a- two delicious AFC and NFC Championship matches coming up later this afternoon. I'm going to get to my picks later on, but I do want to get to one one other thing I need to get off my chest. Odell Beckham Jr. continues to make Dave Gellerman look good. And how about this latest incident after LSU won the national title on Monday? He gave real money to the players on Monday, which is against the NCAA rules, which is against LSU rules, and LSU was going to take a look into that. And then slapped a Superdome official to make could get out of the way of the celebration. Are you kidding me? Odell Beckham Jr. was crazy. He's crazy. He has no idea what he's doing. But yet... This is another Cleveland Browns problem. And the Browns have shown time after time again that they don't know how to handle these off-the-field issues and they don't know how to promote a disciplined bunch. So now we've got this out of the way. Now we're on to Championship Sunday today. The Tennessee Titans are on the road. They're, they're getting seven points on the road against the Kansas City Chiefs. And 
I'm taking the Chiefs to win. I'm taking the Titans to cover. I think this, it, this is going to be one of those blue-collar versus Hollywood glam games. You got the blue-collar uh, defense that that remind that reminds you a little bit of the 80s Giants in terms of their approach to the game. And then you have a game-managing quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, and you've got a tremendous offensive line and Derrick Henry leading the charge of the running attack. But then you've got Kansas City. You've got that high-powered offense with the game, one of the game's best tight ends in Travis Kelsey, one of the game's best wide receivers in Tyreek Hill, and you and you've got the you've got a running running back by committee. You've got Patrick Mahomes um, uh, that that can throw bullets at, at any time. But I think the, the Chiefs win because I think first of all you have the disappointment of last year's finish in the AFC Championship game. And then you've got the uh, the ama- you've got the amazing Andy Reid, who who is dying to make a Super Bowl that he hasn't made a Super Bowl in 15 years. I and I know this this was a, this was clearly the tougher game of the two to pick, but I'm taking the Chiefs 24-21 over the Tennessee Titans. And then the last game, the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco was favored by eight. And I know Green Bay uh, was 13 and three. They had a great season, but Seattle's no San Francisco in terms of uh, in terms of um, their defense. San Francisco's front seven is unbelievable to watch. They're fun. They're talented, and I think the 49ers. I'll take them to winning cover. And my, my, my score for this game: Niners 30, Packers 20. And remember, if you want to, if you want to watch, follow me on Hooked on Sports. You can follow me on Spotify. You can just hit the subscribe button. If you want to follow me on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, follow me there as well. And good good luck to everybody on Championship Sunday. I look forward to seeing you on Thursday again. I apologize for or for the for the delay. I had some issues with my with my microphone, but I got I got them to be fixed right on time. So again. Chiefs 24-21, Niners 30-20. And I'll see you see you back on the pod again very soon. Have a good day, everybody.